All right, I guess we're going to get started tonight. Um, just glad you guys keep coming back. Um, I think we're amazed every week. <laughs> uh, we know what a sacrifice it is to come out in such a busy world that we live in. So we're just very grateful for each of you for being here and coming out and learning with us. Um, let's open in prayer, and then we'll open with some testimonies. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, we just turn our heart and our mind and our ears and our eyes towards you right now. God, we just lay the burdens of this world at your feet and all that's going on in our land at your feet because the bottom line is you are on the throne. God, and we just rest in that tonight. Lord, let your peace overflow in this place. Lord, the peace of the good news of the gospel. God, that we're sharing about tonight. God, that it is good news. It is the best news that we can hold fast to. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place to convict our hearts, to bring revelation to our hearts and our mind that brings transformation to our lives. Open our ears to hear your word and your voice. Father, we ask that you would reveal your heart towards us tonight. God, as, as Katie and I was praying, that we would be undone by the truth and the reality of the good news. Father, you are worthy of our attention. You are worthy of our affections. Father, and we worship you with our time and in our energy tonight, that you would be glorified in this place. Holy Spirit, reveal the Father's heart to each of ours. Lord, and we thank you that we get to bring the, your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven here to earth right now in this moment. Be glorified in this place. In your holy name we pray. Amen. We were talking about the peace that just came in when we were praying, and I, I was like, man, I could just fall asleep right now. And I wasn't sure if exhaustion came on me. I'm like, I don't know if I'm exhausted or just this peace is that good. And Katie's like, this peace is that good. It is really good right now. What a, what a perfect, perfect way to enter this place on this day is just the peace that overflows from him to us right now. So good. So we just, we're going to start tonight. Um, I, why don't you share with us, because we're going to just about, we're going to machine gun you tonight with all the information um, we are going to finish out the gospel pieces, each one, all the way through, right, tonight. So let's start with what is the revelation that God has brought to you in this time? Like what is the one thing that you're, you have taken so far from this teaching? What, what is God speaking to you? What has changed in your heart or mind because of what has been spoken, what he's been speaking 
you know, it doesn't even have to, I, I know my dad had a, um, a revelation one night. It was just a kind of a highlight off of what we were speaking on. It wasn't specifically to what we were speaking on, but God brought revelation to him in an area that he needed. So, you know, it doesn't have to be because of the gospel. It's just why you've been here. What is the revelation that God has been speaking to you? We want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. And we want to hear your voice too. Yeah, I think it's one of the things that God spoke to me tonight is, uh, you know, I grew up in church. I've been in, in church my entire life. And I think sometimes we take the gospel for granted. Like it's really not that big of a deal because it's something we've always known. And tonight he reminded me of what a big deal this really is and how important this, because without this, we're nothing. There is no good news without this. And so um, just not taking it for granted and bringing all those things back to memory so that it's like it's good and new and fresh. And I, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot because I just, I am overwhelmed with God's hand on your life. And you just need to know that, that your voice, especially, and I know, I know what you do in the workplace, but it is so powerful what you do every day to the people that you minister to in your chair. It's just, I just don't know if you understand the ripple effect of the way that you make people feel when they sit in your chair. It's just massive, just massive. And I just, I just see that over you, that, that the gospel that you share by loving the one in front of you, just by loving on them, is huge and it is changing lives so you just need to know that man I just it's so it's like um like a billboard sign over your head right now that is just blazing so mm -hmm. no it's a huge impact I just it's it's a billboard over your head like just blazing over you mm -hmm. It was cool because while she was saying that and before you even said that, I was going to piggyback and say, and the way you train your staff to do the same is actually a huge impact as well, like making disciples who make disciples. And um, so even though you're experiencing opposition with one of your staff, I think I think that's partly natural when fruit is, is being grown. Um, is the enemy, of course, wants to discourage and say, whoa, whoa, you're making too much fruit. Stop it. No more. No more fruit for you. <laughs> and so just be encouraged that the only reason you're experiencing opposition is because you're moving in the right direction. Okay, sidetracked. But it was just so bright and bold, and I'm like, I can't, cannot stop seeing this. <laughs> Anybody else? What is God revealing to you? I'm not afraid to call you out by name, especially if you're in a couple of my other small groups. Jessica and Alyssa. <laughs> the beauty of God with that is, is when we're obedient, he shows up in a mighty way and gives you the words, and you just begin to flow in something that you're like, I don't even know what I'm saying right now, but I know this is you, so I'm just going to go with this. That's the beauty of what God does. You, those first couple of words, it's like prophesying. You start prophesying, 
and you're like stumbling over your first couple words, but it's like he shows up and takes over. Anybody else? All hearts clear. Dad? So we're going to get into it, but before we do, I just had this really great experience with Jesus while she was praying, and I just want to share it with y'all. Um, so we were praying literally just to start, and I just was like melting into that piece of Jesus, like, oh, you're so good. And I got this picture in my head of the potter working with the clay. And I know we talked about that last week. And I was like, Jesus, we've already been down that road. <laughs> but earlier when Angel and I were just talking and preparing, um, we were talking about how there's there's a lot of like control in the air, a lot of the spirit of control and manipulation going on in our country right now. And and we're feeling it, right? And she was like, well, what's the opposite spirit of control? And I said, surrender. Like, we just come in the spirit of surrender. We come in a spirit of submission. And it's not necessarily submission to the people around us. It's submission to the king of kings first. Complete surrender with him. And so that just kind of flashed back into my mind. And and I was thinking, I was trying to think, okay, Lord, where is that scripture? Because I don't even remember. And I opened up to my, our very first scripture that we're going to talk about tonight. And in that passage, two verses later, I have highlighted. So our first verse we're going to do is Isaiah 64, 6, which we're not going to go to that just yet. But when I had opened to it, verse 8, it says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And I had Jeremiah 18 written next to it, which is the potter and the clay prophecy. And so I just want to take a minute, and I just want to ask us to step into that place of surrender with the Lord, because I just feel like he's doing something in our nation, and we're called to be the peacemakers, and you can't be a peacemaker if you've gone rogue and, and you're an anarchist, because anarchy is lawlessness, and, you know, one can only have the authority to the degree they submit to authority, and if we want authority from God, we have to submit to authority from God, and so... I just want us to take just a, a minute in our own heart, and I, I you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to have a ripple effect in any way in our lives, but I just know that the Lord speaks in surrender, and so if you're struggling with something tonight that you feel unseen or a wrestle that you're going on, maybe it's just the politics that are going on and that fear that's driving you right now, um, or it could be personal. I just sense the Lord wants, wants us to know he's in control that the control we sense in the world and in the spirit right now, it is not the last word. It's not the final say. Amen. That the Lord's hand of control and his hand on us is what is so powerful. And, um, you know, when I think of the picture that I got when we prayed, I just saw it on the pottery wheel. And if, you, if you've ever played with clay on a pottery wheel, you have to keep wetting your hands because you have to, it, it'll catch friction. It'll get warm and it'll crumple and, it, it gets dried out, so you have to keep adding water. And, you know, scripturally, symbolically, water is the Holy Spirit. And even when Ernie was talking about fresh encounters with the Lord, we just need a little extra dose of the Holy Spirit when we start to get dry and weary and the friction increases. We, we need that, the Spirit, to come and to wash over us fresh. So I know we prayed, but we're going to pray again, <laughs> if that's okay. Because maybe we're just feeling a little dry. We're feeling the friction. We're feeling the stress of the control around us. And 
the Lord just has better news for us, and that's that he's in control and that his spirit washes us so that we can be. Yes, amen, amen. So let's just take a second. And Jesus, we just step into a fresh surrender of God, and we recognize um, that there is control in the world, that there is fear, that there is um, tactics of intimidation and bullying at work all around us. And God, you say that we don't have to give in to those tactics, that you are greater than he who is in the world. And so God, right now we step into fresh surrender, the opposite spirit of control. And we say, God, it's not easy for us to surrender everything, but we know that you're the only one worthy of everything. And so we surrender to you. And God, we, we invite you to take control of our lives in an even greater way. Lord, that we would be clay in your hands that says, mold me and make me to look like you. And God, I pray that we would never be dry clay, refusing the fresh touch of the Spirit, and that we would not be cold clay, refusing the touch of our Father's hands. And so, God, we just step into surrender. We surrender our fear. We surrender our anxiety. We surrender all of our lack. God, the places where we don't measure up, where we're insecure, where we've messed up and failed and missed the mark, God, we just surrender it. And we know that you cast a bigger shadow of love and grace over us than the enemy's shadow of fear and intimidation. And so we will hide in the shadow of your wings and not in the shadow of the valley of death. God, we choose you and we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. How's everyone doing? <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> All right, let's dig in. So we're going to cover a lot of ground in an hour, so I hope you're ready. Um, we were just talking, and we were like, man, let's just get her done. Because <laughs> we love the practical. We love the stories. And so we want to get through all the doctrine and jump into some practical, hands-on, fun of practicing the gospel and practice treasure hunting and practice prophetic ministry. So that's what we can look forward to in the next three weeks. So tonight we're going to start off with S. So we're on our gospel journey, journey and S is sin cannot be removed by good deeds. And so we're going to look at Isaiah 64, 6 first. And it says, I'm sorry, this is, this is a doozy, man. <laughs> we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. And I will say that other translations are much more gruesome than this one where it says a polluted garment. Other translations refer to it as a menstruation rag. Think about how gross that is. If you've ever had to clean a public bathroom, that's gross, okay? Sorry for that imagery, folks. But that's how the Lord looks on our, our, right, our righteous deeds. And then Luke 18, 19, to further drive home this ouch point, <laughs> Jesus is met by um, a man, I can't remember if it's a Pharisee or not, but he asks him, 
in Luke 18, 19, <laughs> this famous question, he says, oh, it was the rich young ruler. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. So neither are we good, nor do we have good deeds. And I think we like to think we do. We like to think the things we do are just fantastic and just, you know, a real, real wonderful thing. Sometimes we think we're God's gift to the people around us, <laughs> right? And, and thankfully, the Lord reminds us, hey, 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 you're the clay. Hey, hey, who made you? <laughs> I did. You didn't. And so the good that we do have comes from the Lord, but he echoes this once more with a complete thought in Romans 3, 10 through 12. <laughs> it says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So we are all sinful. As it is written, none is righteous. No one. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curse and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have known not. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So sorry, that goes down the whole way to 18. But that just completes that thought that we are not good by nature. We do not perform good deeds by nature. At our core, there is sin and selfish ambition. I'm sorry to tell you that. <laughs> I, I love a good affirmation, right? I love to be the one saying, like, you're doing such a good job. You, you're just so amazing. And so to have to tell you the truth, man, I'm sorry. But we're going to get to the really good news <laughs> that makes a way where there isn't one. Anything you want to add? Okay. So we're going to look at Galatians 3. <laughs> this is a fun one. I'm going to read it to you in the message version because to use the kids' lingo, it slaps. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, though, I felt like I got backhanded by Jesus when I read this. <laughs> so I'm going to focus on sections, uh, verses 1 through 6 and 9 through 14. <laughs> you ready? I, pr I promise we're, we're going to put the band-aid on after, but it's going to sting a bit. <laughs> so starting in verse 1, Paul speaking to the, to the church in Galatia, and he says, You crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? For something crazy has happened. It's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God, or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? Is it not yet a total, it is not yet a total loss, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. <laughs> 
slaps, right? <laughs> it keeps going. Answer this question. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your life that you could never do for yourselves, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you? Don't these things happen among you just as they happened with Abraham? He believed God and that act of belief was turned into a life that was right with God. Now verse nine. So those now who live by faith are blessed along with Abraham who lived by faith. This is no new doctrine. And that means that anyone who tries to live by his own effort, independent of God is doomed to failure. Scripture backs this up. Utterly cursed is every person who fails to carry out every detail written in the book of the law. The obvious impossibility of carrying out such a moral program should make it plain that no one can sustain a relationship with God that way. The person who lives in right relationship with God does it by embracing what God has arranged for him. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God has done for you. Habakkuk had it right. He said, the person who believes God is set right by God, and that's the real life, also known as the, the righteous shall live by faith. Rule keeping does not naturally evolve into living by faith, but only perpetuates itself in more and more rule keeping. A fact observed in scripture, the one who does these things, rule keeping, continues to live by them. See, Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse, and at the same time, he dissolved the curse. And now, because of that, the air is cleared, and we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available for non-Jews too. We are all able to receive God's life, his spirit in us, and with us by believing, just the way Abraham received it. Yeah. Whew. Did anyone else feel like they got slapped? I did. <laughs> I read that all the time. I, I don't know how many perfectionists I have in the house or how many people I have that love to keep rules and love their, I know I have a friend here, at least one, <laughs> but like, that has been my cup of tea for a long time. If I could just do enough good, I know I'll be good. If I, if I could just do better, then I'll be worth more. If I can prove that my existence is benefiting to others, then I'm worth it. You know, th those thoughts were just on replay for a long time for me. And when I read this, it is an instant slap that says, are you your own savior or is Jesus? And it's a good reminder that moral striving actually only brings defeat. It brings self-sabotage. It brings chaos. It brings insecurity. Because as we constantly are striving and striving to do better and better, we're not actually serving the true image of God. We're serving ourselves. We're serving our, our own imposed version of God who is a rule keeper and authoritarian. Oh, Selah. So there is no peace in striving because you're constantly asking yourself, how do I know if I've done enough? How do I know if my moral striving adds up to be enough? And that is the case for a lot of people living today. A lot of people live by the way of karma. If I do good, then good will come back to me. I mean, it is a biblical term that you do sow what you reap. That is a biblical principle. 
and we're foolish to think that we can do awful and expect awesome. (laughs) But when we use that as the model of salvation, when we use that as the model of the definition of our worth is where it goes astray. Do you want to go into deeds and slavery? Yeah. Before I do, I'm just going to say, you know, one of the things we started out with was that video, and I just keep going back to that, is is who defines good then? What defines a good deed then? Because what's a good deed for me isn't a good deed for you. And just just the the chaos that brings to your mind is, am I doing enough? And just that constant fret, if that is my way to heaven, if that's my ticket, then who's defining good and how much good do I have to do to get there? And when is enough enough? And so I just, the peace that comes with knowing that my way to heaven is not how much I do. It is, it is who paid the price for me ahead of time. You know, and, and when we get stuck in the role of needing to do good deeds, like I'll be good enough when I do enough. When we get stuck in that, that is a mentality of slavery. Deeds equals slavery. It's when we do deeds to earn favor to gain heaven. Um, it's, it's a servant Uh, It's an orphan mentality of, I I have to earn my keep because I'm really not his daughter. Or I I need to earn my keep because I'm really not a son. You know, it's, it's that whole, it's the orphan mentality. It's a spirit that we become overwhelmed with that it doesn't matter what I do, I'm not good enough. So I'm just gonna keep striving. And we have to get rid of the orphan spirit and come into sonship, daughtership, that, that, I belong and I am good enough because the blood speaks a better word over my life and be at peace with that. You know, and I, the counterpart is it's out of that place of being a daughter that I do good deeds, not because I have to, not because it's my ticket into heaven, but because I want to serve my father because I love him so much. You know, in the the verse that stood out to me when you were saying that, and I was just trying to find it, and all of a sudden I can't find it. Um, I thought I had it memorized, and I think I forgot where it was. But I'm pretty sure it's in the book of John. Um, Oh, it's John 15. Okay. Um, Where it talks about abiding in the vine, and it talks about what it looks like to be in Christ. And he says to, he says to his disciples, because that's who he's talking to, and, and that's, so that's us. He's talking to us, his disciples, and he talks about how he loved them so much and he chose them first. And the, the mark of a friend, he says, greater love has no one than this, than he who lays down his life for his friends, right? And so then he, then he goes on to say, you're my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And, you know, I used to wrestle with that a lot um, personally because I just wanted to be told what to do. 
I didn't want relation. And this, this sounds crazy. Who would say this? But I used to say this. I don't want relationship. It's messy. I don't want to deal with feelings and emotions and expectations. I just want God to tell me clear cut what he wants for me. I want to obey and I want to be good. And someone was like, well, he just wants to be your friend. And I'm like, just give me a list of rules, man. <laughs> Those are easy and definable. I, I can work with that. And I didn't realize that that added up to slavery. That added up to a heart that was actually far from God, not close to God. Yes, we obey him. And yes, that proves our love. But that's not what gets us to love. That's not what proves we are loved. You know, works comes out of faith, not the other way around. It doesn't lead to faith. Uh, And I think that's, you know, maybe... I don't know enough about uh, about Catholicism to speak too much about it, but I, I know that deeds are very heavily favored in, in their doctrine. Um, and so there is a place and time for our deeds, and our deeds should be the fruit of our love for Christ. Because he even says that. He says that I have appointed you to go and bear fruit. You know, and in Ephesians, it says that when he created us as his masterpieces, that he set up and advanced good works for us to do. And so there is this time and place for works, but it's not, the time and place for works is not to gain salvation. Yeah, and the thing with be, with deeds being uh, our action plan and in and, and a place of being an orphan or a slave is we don't love people well. We can't. We're always in competition with them because God doesn't have enough for me. Or if they get the promotion and I don't, then I'm not seen once again and unheard. And we never are able to love the people around us because we are constantly in striving mode and we strive against those that we're supposed to be loving. And so we can see that that is, you know, not only a broken place in us that hopefully Jesus is healing and speaking truth over for us, but we can see that in the world. And so as we go out to share the gospel, that's a very common place you'll speak into. That's a common thing that, you know, it gives you common ground to stand with someone to say, you know, do you ever feel like you're just not doing enough or, you know, because it's a lie and lies are common. Lies are not so unique. The enemy is not so creative. And so that gives us a platform to begin to speak to them the truth of the gospel. Because if someone is is stuck under slavery of trying to do good and feeling like they're just one sin away from being booted out to hell, then what comes next is seriously good news. <laughs> and so we're going to go into that. The letter P is paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. Yeah, I, I just feel like, is everybody clear on the S, the sins? Anybody have input or a question? Everybody's good? Yeah, and if we do go too fast, just woohoo, slow down. <laughs> we will. Um, so our f- our first verse for this is First Peter three, eighteen through twenty. <clears throat> it says, "For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit." in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. <clears throat> and 
1 John 3, 6 says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. (laughs) So as we were talking about this, we felt led to jump into Isaiah 53 because, okay, up here I have a lot of scriptures. Um, the bottom line of scriptures, Matthew 26 through 28, Mark 14 through 16, Luke 22 through 24, and John 13 through 21, those are all the gospel accounts of Jesus dying for our sins and being raised again to life. Um, and they are beautiful and gruesome and painful and sorrowful and rejoice, rejoicing. They are a mixed bag of emotions. Um, so I definitely encourage you to, you know, be drawn to one, to open one, to read through it, um, and let that narrative wash over you. Um, I know, I think it was Buffy, you had said that you had had an encounter last week, was it, about seeing it as though you were there. Yeah, and so I would encourage you guys to ask the Lord, could you let me be a fly on the wall during those times? Like, could you, as I read this, let me see it the way you intended this to be seen and read and heard? And read it out loud. You know, read it, read it to yourself, read it out loud, listen to it on audio Bible, um, watch the passion, um, really engage your senses with the narrative of Jesus's death and resurrection, because it is, whew. Yeah, as she gets ready to read Isaiah 53, I just, I challenge you to close your eyes and put yourself there even now, um, because this is the piece that I think we hear it so much, it becomes normal, and it's not a normal thing. And it just, we just kind of graze over this piece of the gospel, and we, I, we just take it for granted. And I, one of the things I prayed for today was, Lord, that I would be undone by the goodness of your death and resurrection. That I would know, like, I don't want to just read it for the sake of reading it. I want to, I want to feel it with every emotion in my body. That, that, the greatness and the goodness of what the price that you paid. I, I want to be undone every time I read it. I don't want to gloss over it anymore because I feel like sometimes we do our due diligence by reading the Gospels, especially during the season, and we hear about it so much that we just we kind of gloss over it. And this is a big deal. And I just feel like that's what God is awakening in the church again, is the importance of the truth of the gospel. So just as she reads Isaiah 53, let it, let the goodness of the salvation of Jesus Christ permeate your entire being. Isaiah is becoming one of my favorite books. I'm doing an in-depth study on it right now. It's just so good. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquitted with grief, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are the ones that are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yes, he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days, that the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous." And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Hmm. Man, there's, there's so many benefits that we take for granted that come with salvation. You know, I think we said it before, either in this class or the last, that, that salvation is so much more than just salvation to eternal life, that there's so much benefit for our life now that came with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're going to go over some of those benefits of salvation because, holy cow, they're good. How could you not? <laughs> this is like this is the fun part. <laughs> this is the part that we labored to get to. <laughs> we had to talk about sin and separation and hell and our dirty rag deeds. <laughs> and we finally get to this point that is the joy of our salvation and all the good things that go with it. So naturally, this is not an exhaustive list because we'd be here till Jesus came back if we were talking about all the good things that he offers for us. So <laughs> I think we've got like 10 that we're going to go over, maybe two, four, six, eight, eleven. 11. So, um, okay, the first one, and she mentioned it when she was reading Isaiah 53. I was trying to mark down some of these scriptures so that I wouldn't be flipping like a maniac, but alas can't always get what you want. 
So Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So one of the first benefits we get to experience because of salvation in Christ is healing of our physical bodies. Um, You know, his body was broken for us. And so when we are meditating on the fact that he hung on the cross and his body was wounded for us, that wounding wasn't in vain. It wasn't just part of the process to make it really emotional. It wasn't just to, to cause him to lose dignity or to shame him in front of his disciples. Everything Jesus did from the moment he got to earth, you know, prior to earth, but the moment he got to earth in human flesh, everything he did was on purpose. There wasn't anything he did that went, he went, oops, (laughs) didn't see that coming. (laughs) He never had an oopsies moment. (laughs) Um, He did it all on purpose. And we see that he went through the beating and the chastisement on his body so that his wounds would bring us healing one day. And it says that the chastisement would bring us peace. And so we know that in his death, he also provided for us the soundness of mind. Okay, our next one um, is 1 John 2, 28, 29, into 3, 1 through 10. I won't, I won't read them all. But it says... Oh, this is so good. And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. I'm going to skip to verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children. Now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so it just points to this third benefit, that we've become children of God. And in becoming children of God, I mean, there's a whole host of benefits just in those, like, three verses. I mean, we, we become righteous. We become his children. We become like him. We become purified. We gain confidence. We, know, we lose our shame. There are so many things packed in that. But overarching all of that is we get a new identity. We come into the family of the beloved son. We're no longer strangers. We're no longer orphans. We experience the love of a father. We come into a family. Yeah, I would really challenge you if you struggle at all with striving and deeds is to um, deal with the fact that you're functioning under an orphan spirit instead of a son or a daughter. And a really good book is um, Leif Hetland's Orphan Spirit. It's a really good resource, but you can even do like there's this this graph on online that you can pull up and it's is it's um, orphan spirit versus son or daughter in the way that we function in life. And, you know, if you hit one or two of those, eh, just have a little bit of work. But if you're hitting a lot of them, then I would strongly suggest going through the orphan spirit book. Uh, it's really helpful. It really helps change the mindset from orphan to belonging. 
And in order to preach the gospel, you have to know that you belong just the way that you are. Yeah, it's just like a bald man trying to sell toupees. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. So we got to... <laughs> I'm sorry. But really, <laughs> you wouldn't want to buy one from him. <laughs> but it's funny because our small group, our young adult small group, once did a, a book study on the supernatural ways of royalty by Chris Vallotton. And in the back of it was this popper... Oh, Popper versus Prince quiz to see just what kind of mindsets you were cultivating, what kind of lies or truths you were living by. I think I got through it, and I think I had like three sun attributes, and the rest were all orphan. And I was like, okay, I've got some work to do. But thankfully, when I when I would read through it, I noticed, okay, that's a lie. Um, you know, it, there were questions like, do you feel insecure when you're in a room with X kind of person, you know, with wealthy people, with smart people, with talented people. And it was like, which one do you feel insecure around? And that kind of point, oh, okay. And, and then it would ask different kinds of questions like, what happens when someone else gets promoted? Do you celebrate that? Or are you jealous? And you start to look at that and go, okay, so I know basically when you're reworking a lie that you believe that leads to a false identity, you turn it around. You literally transition it from lie to truth, and then you're like, this is what I'm assigning to my mind then. So I think one of them for me was I felt insecure around um, people more successful than me. And so I realized that one of the areas I was always striving in was you know, going to like class reunions, seeing people from high school, and or being around family at holidays that would say, so what are you doing with your life? <laughs> ah, <laughs> ah, fear and anxiety, all the bells and whistles are going off. And I'm like, I don't know who I am. And so I was like, I have to come up with something. And so I would strive really hard knowing I was going to go into those moments so I'd have something for the conversation. And I was like, okay, my goal now is to be okay if I'm the least successful person in the room. And, and you know what I can be if I'm the least accessible, successful? I can be the best learner and the best cheerleader in the room because they figured something out that I could learn from. They have, they have a story to share and a story to celebrate. And I'll be listening ears that will encourage and I will be ears that receive and say, you know what, that is so wise, I'm gonna apply that to my own life. And I'll be successful like that too. And so what the enemy meant for evil as discouragement, God changed for good and for glory because it became a source of encouragement. So it's like that with anything. Whatever you end up finding is, a, is an area that leads to false identity for you or discouragement or striving. The Lord can transform to a truth. And you can take that as a weapon into darkness and be like, watcha, <laughs> here I come. Yeah, It really breaks down the competitiveness that you feel when you're amongst people that you feel insecure around. And, and uh, as women especially, it's a very competitive world that we live in that we have to look, act, dress, seem a certain way. And when that was, I, I could not share the gospel years ago until that was a healed area in me because it just, it's, it, it doesn't, it has no hold over me anymore. It just doesn't matter anymore. So I believe that's probably why it wasn't as hard this time sharing the gospel is because that is no longer a hook the enemy has in me because there's no competition in, in God. None. I'm not in comp competition with anybody in this room. We are all on the same page, fighting the same battle together. And so I, 
I just really feel hitting it home hard is that if you strive in any way, and it's, it's a stronghold in your life that the enemy is using against you to keep you silent and down. So deal with those things in your life so that it's no longer keeping you trapped in constantly feeling less than everybody else in the room. Because one of the best things about overcoming lies of the enemy is every lie you overcome, you gain authority to defeat in someone else's life. So when you've overcome, uh, you know, for me, that lie of insecurity, of unworthiness, now when, when someone else is struggling with that, I can be like, hey, listen, you're amazing at this, this, and this, or, you know, let's, let's transform this lie in your life to a truth that makes you powerful in their presence, that you become a blessing. And so we're able to then comfort those with the same comfort we've been comforted with, which is so biblical, right? And so you become like a storehouse of weapons for others as you overcome. So if you won't do it for yourself, do it for those around you. (laughs) Okay. Now that we really drilled that one home, uh, let's see. One, two, three. Number four, Galatians 3.13 so good. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So another benefit of our salvation is that Jesus broke the curse over our lives. The curse of the law, generational curses, the curse of sin, the curse of death. Curse be gone. I will actually tell a funny story real fast. Can I? Okay. Um, we were in Russia uh, three, almost three years ago, I think. I don't know, two or three years ago, we were in Russia over Christmas time. And during dinner, so we were staying at an orphanage, and there are a ton of kids there for the holidays. And so our translator couldn't possibly translate all the chatter at the dinner table. So we just kind of eat in blissful ignorance. And we're just like, oh, oh, okay. You know, making everyone funny faces, and you're just waving at people down down the hall, down at other tables, and it's just a good time. And then all of a sudden, we're sitting there, and these kids line up right next to us. Like, we're sitting on a bench near, near each other, and these kids just line up behind us. And I turn to my translator, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? Because they look really eager, and they're, like, tapping my shoulder. And I'm like, what's happening? And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to translate. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you did. <laughs> I, don't, I don't speak Russian, remember? <laughs> and she goes, well, one of the girls was saying how she's afraid to go to the bus stop because she believes a witch is there and a witch put a curse on her. And so she won't go there anymore. And so then they all were talking about how they've all been cursed by different things in their life. And they feel like they're operating under curses and they just don't know how to get out. And she said, well, I told them that we have Jesus and he broke all the curses and that you're going to pray for them and break all the curses off their life. And I went, oh, oh am I? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I was like, I've never prayed a prayer to break a curse off someone's life before. I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just like, okay, uh, trial by fire. Let's find out how this works. So we just turned to the first person. I'm like, so what's your story? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, this witch lived down the road from my mother's house when I was little. And every time we'd walk by, she'd look out her window and point her finger at us. So she's like, I'm pretty sure she cursed us every time we walked by. And I, Angel and I, we like looked at each other. And, and I looked at my translator and I was like, all right, in Jesus' name, curse be broke. Amen. 
next. <laughs> no, it was, like, it was a little less cut and dry. But I was like, what do you even say? I, I know the blood of Jesus. I know this verse. And I know this verse empowers us to break curses because he broke the curse. And so we're just, we're applying the benefit of his salvation for us. So I was like, okay. So we just started to do this kid after kid. And it turned into prophetic ministry because we were like, well, what, what could be better than breaking a curse as applying a blessing? Because that's what it looks like to operate in the opposite spirit. So we were like, we're not just going to get rid of a curse. You can't just cancel something. You can't just rip out a root. You got to put something there. Otherwise, something worse will fill it. And so we start blessing them. We start prophesying over them. And these kids who have never heard the voice of God or never experienced prophecy are starting to get these prophetic words and these blessings. And they're weeping. And they're, like, changing before our eyes. And, like, salvation is breaking out. And we're like... Hey, translator, good job. <laughs> Way to take us down that road because it's not a road I would have traveled alone. <laughs> yeah. So that can also be a great conversation starter. It might even be a conversation around you already, you know, where people are so fascinated by occult and witchcraft and curses and spells and being able to control another human and potions and all those things. People are so fascinated by it right now. And so you may even come across someone that's like, oh my gosh, I feel jinxed or cursed or blah, blah, blah. And you can say, hey, do you know the blood of Jesus cancels that stuff? I could pray for you if you like. And they, and they might be like, yes, please get it off. <laughs> and you might be like, okay, you know what's better than that? Life with Jesus. So, okay. Our next beautiful blessing of salvation in Christ is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. We become a new creation and we receive a new purpose. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave it to us. That's so cool. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ooh, that is such good news. Ah, we got to get excited about that. Maybe you guys just need to read your Bible out loud, because I tell you, it's exciting when you read it out loud. It just is like, whew, alive, and you're like, that's me. He's talking about me. He's talking about you. He's talking about your business. He's talking about us right there. We get to be these ambassadors. That's so exciting. You if I keep going? Okay. Oh, actually, yours is the next one. Um, we, get a, our, I, we get a new covenant. You want to do your Hebrews 8 and 9? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I won't go through it all, but in Hebrews 8 and 9, it talks about the old covenant in the days of Moses and how, I mean, every year the things that you had to do for everything that you did wrong was ridiculous, and it still wasn't good enough. But in the new, te- new covenant with Jesus, the price was paid. The perfect lamb died, and it was enough. And some of the commentaries in this is, is rather than sin condemning us, Christ's sacrifice condemns sin. 
You know, and that is just such a beautiful statement that there is no condemnation in the Lord and that, that Christ's blood was enough for each of us. The purpose of Jesus' death was to put away sin, removing it entirely, not just covering it over sin as it did in the blood of the old covenant and animal sacrifices. The power of Jesus' death is able to cancel sin's power, remove sin's corruption, and provide complete forgiveness. Jesus' sacrifice can bring us together with God, restore us to right relationship with him, give us an ongoing power over sin, and keep us set apart for God's purpose, all because of one sacrifice. All of that for one. And I, I think it's, is it Daniel that talks about there will be a day? I think he talks about there's going to be a day that, it, can you imagine knowing that that day would come when there would be one sacrifice, when there was so many sacrifices that had to take place? You know, I, I hear people say, boy, I wished I lived back then. But we have it so easy compared to what they had to go through for their lives. And this is just beautiful. I just, I just love that Jesus covered everything in his death and resurrection. He didn't leave any stone unturned. He covered everything. Everything we have need of happened in those three days. Everything we have need of happened in those three days. So good. Yeah, and so piggybacking off that, um, another benefit of our salvation is that we get an advocate or a mediator. So First John 2, 1 and 2, uh, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And here's what propitiation means. Here it means, it's from the Greek word helasimosa, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and it says, a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. So when I read that, I instantly thought it is the ultimate Uno reverse card. <laughs> no, you. <laughs> And so it's like what was originally wrath through the blood of Jesus, it transforms it to favor. That was 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. Yeah. And so when he, so like God's wrath is poured out on sin, but now because of the blood of Jesus that acts as a complete cleansing and a complete clearing the deck, if you will, when he looks through that blood, now all he sees is favor. Holy heck, that is good news. If you know some sinners in your life, if you've ever done jail ministry, street ministry, um, homeless ministry, worked with people on the streets because of drugs and addictions, all they're looking at is their debts racked up. They're looking at their wrongs racked up. And they're expecting the wrath of the law, the wrath of the judge, the wrath of their family, the wrath of God. And so to come to them and to say to them, do you know that there is now favor in place of wrath for you? Mm -hmm. That is salvation. That is good news. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even the testimonies of um, prisoners who have such a record, it's hard for them to get jobs. 
but the favor, God says that he gives you favor of man and of God, and it, it, it supersedes anything that they've ever done because they get favor even in the workplace when they shouldn't have favor. And it's just beautiful to watch God redeem it all. Just redeem it all. It's just oh, so good. <laughs> and then this is a fun one. The next two are like, pow, pow. Okay. <laughs> so we are given back authority. So this is Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Oh, so good. I love these verses. Um, let's see. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, Jesus, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. This he set aside. So like we were just saying, those those debts piled up. He set those aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in Christ Jesus. That's like a uppercut to the devil's face. Wapow. Like Jesus just canceled it all. And so, okay, how many of you know the roles of the devil? The devil is an accuser. He comes and he stands before the Lord. He stands before us. When we look in the mirror, that's him sometimes looking back at us saying, you never do this and you always do that and you're never going to do that. And where were you when this happened? And why couldn't you and you should have? And he's the accuser. He stands there assailing us, harassing us with lies. And Jesus disarms every legal potential he has against us. Do you want to share your? I was yeah. just going to yeah. go for it. Yeah, so I actually I had a, I experienced this one time. I I don't know what we were doing. I felt led to do a worship night, and I it was spontaneous. I said, "Hey, let's go down to the church and have a worship night." And so we came down. We put some worship music on on line computer, and I'm starting to enter in. And next thing I know, I'm in the throne room of God. And the accuser is standing next to me, and he's saying, she can't go into your presence. She's, this is against her, this is against her, this is against her. And I'm sitting there going, uh, I had nothing. I was dumbfounded because I, I'm in the throne room, first of all. Second of all, everything he's saying about me is right. You know, everything that he accused me of was truth. And so I look up, and, and God is there, and Jesus is there. And I looked over at Jesus, and he goes, it's truth, but my blood covers you. Those are lies now. That is no longer who you are. You have a right to come in my presence because of my blood. And I was undone. You see, the accuser wants you to remember your faults and stay stuck on your faults. Because if you stay stuck there striving, you'll never go into the throne room. You will never go into his presence because you never feel good enough, right enough, perfect enough to go there. So he's constantly whispering accusations at you. It's just you got to learn to tune him out and shut him up because he doesn't have a right over you anymore. So sin is the devil's land. And if you're caught trespassing right? You have to pay the penalty. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, who knew that we were these gallivanting, foolish trespassers, said, I'll make a way and I'll clear the legal demands against you. So he literally 
The devil literally has a right to us when we have unrepented sin in our life. That, you know, it's, it's really the foundation of all the inner healing we do. Because if we have an area of our life that we haven't surrendered to the Lord, if we have a sin that we haven't repented for or come out of agreement with, then we are open season for the enemy. We're a target because we're in his land. He has a right to us. But when we bring it under the blood of Jesus, when we come to him and we repent and we apply the benefit of our salvation, this becomes true. And it says, again, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame, triumphing over them in Christ Jesus. So now it's dead, it's done. And he has no legal right to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most beautiful things to bring someone to is the realization that that no longer has a hold over me. And there's no shame in God. And he can take my brokenness. He can take the places that took me out, all the shame, all the things that I have done. And it's no longer a hook in me. The freedom that comes to somebody with that is beautiful. And we have even seen um, like the consequences of sin. You know, there are natural consequences to sin, but we have seen them come in to seek forgiveness in those places and the natural consequences go away. Doesn't happen all the time, but we have seen it happen where sexual transmitted diseases disappear because that is the power and the goodness and the good news of salvation. That's the beauty of it. That's the joy of our salvation. That's the good news that we get to spread to the world is that there is nothing you have done that can keep you from the goodness of a savior, nothing, all of his goodness, all that came with the cross, every benefit that was his is ours. Every inheritance that he had as the son of God and the son of man is ours. And we get to walk in that. That is good news. It's beautiful news. It is freeing news. Woo! <laughs> Come on. I feel like I just got saved. <laughs> I, listen, y'all, if we were in Africa right now, everyone yes. would be up and hankies would be flying, booties would be bopping. Like, it would be wild. <laughs> True. Yes, girl, get out. Let me see ya. <laughs> I'm just like, ah, oh, this is real. I was doing a devotional last week and uh, on the Bible app, and I, and I was reading the, the gospel, and I was like, you mean a guy died and he, then he came back to life and suddenly everyone's saved. How did that happen? <laughs> I was like, this is too good to be true. This is a miracle. This doesn't just happen. And then I was like, listen, like practically, I know this is the gospel. Like it really is a miracle. But I was like, but if you like really think about it, it's like, that's a head scratch and <laughs> result. <laughs> and so I just want to, we're going to top it off with the, and, okay, it's not the best, but it's like, they're all amazing, right? Every benefit is just like, <gasps> thank you, Jesus. But this one, just wha-pow. Okay, 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Period. Full stop. 1 John 3, 8. That's right. Amen. Say it again. <laughs> the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Selah. Yeah, I think we get so caught up in being that we're under the enemy's foot 
when really he's under our foot because of the death and resurrection of Christ. And we just, we just take his slaughter all the time instead of taking the authority that was given to us by the cross and resurrection. And I just, we just need to rise up and tell him no more. You know, one of the revelations I had this past week, and I don't know why I'm going here, but it's God put it on my heart, so I'm going to go there, is um, the verse about Uh, the gates of Hades will not stand against the church that he built on. One of the revelations that I had is I always thought it was because hell always came against the church, right? But the revelation I had in a sermon this week that I listened to is gates don't move. So gates can't come against the church, right? It's the gates of hell. It can't come against the church. The church is supposed to go against the gates of hell and the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. We need to start acting like we believe that and stop staying on the defense and start going in on the offense and taking back what he's stolen from the church. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Who's feeling empowered? <laughs> Let's go. Kick some devil booty. Okay. Any questions on the benefits of our salvation? Did you guys get the verses for the last one? I can can make a copy of my notes for you. Oh, okay. Here, I'll give them to you one more time. Okay. The first one was healing a physical body, um, Isaiah 53, 5. The second one was soundness of mind. Yeah, also 53, 5. And then we become children of God. First John 2 and 3. Uh, the next one is Breaks Curses, Galatians 3.13. Uh, Galatians 3.13. For Breaks, mm-hmm, for breaks Curses. Um, the next one was A New Creation with a New Purpose. Second Corinthians 5. Um, the next one is a new covenant. That's Hebrews 8 and 9. The next one was we get an advocate or a mediator. That's First John 2. The next one is uh, we're given back authority. And that one was Colossians 2. And then the last one is he destroyed the works of the devil. Sure, that was 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. And I'm sure there's thousands of more from Genesis to Revelations that you could find. Those were just the ones that as we prayed, they popped, and so we jotted them down. Okay, so we we might only have time for the for one. Do you want to do? Want to see what happens? See what happens. Okay, the next one is E. Everyone who trusts in Him alone has eternal life. Yeah, you turned it quick. Um. <laughs> so, 
We're going to look at 1 John 5, 11 through 13. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. Um, so, okay, I will say these last two are benefits of salvation, but they get their own letter. <laughs> so, you know, you could say benefit pseudo number 12 is eternal life. <laughs> and that we, we find that in 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Simple. Okay. And then the next one we're going to look at is Revelations 21, 1 through 5. Because this surely can speak to some people that you meet when they when you talk about heaven and hell. Now we can talk about heaven. Whew. But when you talk to people about heaven, you could ask them about these verses. Let me read it first. Okay. Revelations 21, 1 through 5. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And so that is, that's, that is the joy of our salvation, is that we get to enjoy an eternal life in a place where there is no, peer, no pain, no tears, no sorrow, no, no grief. You know, and so that is a great point of, of conversation for us with people in evangelism of, I, you know, often I hear people say like, you know, I just can't take this anymore. I'm sick of the way things are. I'm sick of this pain. I'm sick of what I'm going through. And we can say, you know, actually, I know a place that you would, you'd probably really enjoy. <laughs> there, there's a place where there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more grief. Would you be interested in that place? I could get you. I could get you there. You know, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, okay, what's, <laughs> what's that about? But really, like, that is what we have to look forward to. That's our hope. That one day we'll get new bodies, we will be complete and whole and lacking nothing. That is good news. Someone out there needs to know that, <laughs> surely. Um, and you know, the, well, actually, I will say before we move on, in verse 5 where it says, Behold, I'm making all things new. That was a fun revelation I had once was um, that word there isn't, it's uh, like the, the, the state of its syntax. I don't know what word to use there. But the, the verb tense, that's what it is. The verb tense is continual. So God, when he started making it new, it's unending. It's like, it's as if he said, behold, I'm making all things new. And it just keeps going. And the newness never ends. Can you imagine living in a way where nothing wore out? And we see that evidenced by the Israelites in the desert. Their shoes never wore out for 40 years. Never once. Needed to patch it. Needed to stitch it. 
needed to, I don't know, spit on it and make some mud to patch. I don't know. You know, who knows what they did, but they didn't have to because it didn't run out. They never wore out. They were constantly in a state of newness. And that is a tangible piece of heaven on earth that God gave them, just like the manna he gave them. And so the heaven that we're going to experience is in a constant state of newness. It'll never stop being new. It'll never tarnish. It'll never rust. It'll never wear out. There's no moths there to eat our clothes. There's nothing that could become old, which also elicits the idea, and this is Katie talking, not scripture, but elicits the idea that we'll never get bored. There will be constant curiosities, constantly new things to do. If God is a creator, he doesn't just stop being a creator once we get there. He doesn't go, oh, finally I can stop. I've been needing a rest for thousands of years. You know, no, it's like who he is. That's what he enjoys to do. So we'll get there, and he's going to be constantly creating. Constant creation. That is so exciting. <laughs> you have anything? I have a lot, but it really quickly is going to go off the other Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, moving right along. So, um... <laughs> Um, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And this is a big one in our society that believes in universalism. You know, so long as you just believe in something, you'll get there. Eh, wrong answer. I'm really sorry, but wrong. <laughs> um, and we see that evidenced in John 14, 6, Acts 4, 12, 1 Timothy 2, 5, and John 3, 36. So, for example, John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, period. Acts 4, 12 tells us, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. None. So, nothing else will do the job, which people don't like to hear, but they need to. Okay, we'll move to the next one. We can do it. Yeah, we can do it. Here, I'll turn it. So this is my favorite piece because I think um, growing up, you know, I always heard the saints talk about, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven and it's just going to be so beautiful and I just want to get there now. And, and later in life, I realized that life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. You know, when Jesus said, my kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I realize that the kingdom of heaven can be, that not just can be, is available to us now, that we can experience heaven on earth. And when I first started learning that, that, that this is part of the gospel, is um, the kingdom of heaven here on earth, is I remember my parents praying over their vehicles and them lasting forever. I also remember them breaking down a lot. But there were times that I remember specifically when they would pray over their vehicles and they should have died forever ago and they just kept going. And I took that into um, my adult life and we had a vehicle that should have died and I just kept laying my hands on it. Lord, if the shoes in the desert cannot wear out and I can bring heaven on earth and I just pray over this vehicle that it lasts until we can afford another one. And it did. It just kept going and going and going and going and going. And it, they weren't known to go forever, but ours did. And it's just, we have access to the kingdom of heaven now, abundant life. Um, I, John 10, 10, 
You know, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. But it starts out with, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that you have life and life abundantly. Why is it that Christians feel like they don't have abundant life? Why do we feel so depressed and discouraged and so much heaviness? It's because we are not walking the way that we were created to walk, and that is walking with the kingdom as it is in heaven here on earth. We look at the earth instead of looking at it through the lens of heaven. Whatever I'm walking through, I, one of my favorite people that talks about this lifestyle is Graham Cook, my favorite. If you can ever listen to him, he's got this sweet Australian, southern, I don't know, drawl. I don't even know where he's from. I actually think it's England. None of the above. <laughs> But he just is this calm, cool, peaceful, collective guy that talks all about abundant life and what God created. It's why Jesus, it's why Jesus went to the cross and why he was raised from the dead. It doesn't mean that trials don't come. It means that trials can't shake us when we stand on the truth and the reality of the kingdom of heaven. It means that chaos may come, but I can have peace in the moment and not be shaken. He said, he, he says it all the time. If it ain't good, it ain't God and it ain't done. So he, he even talks about how there are times that he'll look at his checkbook and it's a little, not where it needs to be. And he just is, he, he lines, he says in the name of Jesus checkbook, you need to line up according to what it says in scripture. The kingdom of heaven needs to come on my finances. And he talks about testimony after testimony after testimony of the way Money showed up in his checkbook by living. It wasn't because he commanded it. It was because he believed it. He believed that God was good and faithful. And now he runs businesses because he had creative ideas of entrepreneurship that led to financial stability. It's just we don't live in abundance because we don't believe anything about the gospel. And we get stuck in orphan mentality. Um, so I could go on forever on John 10, 10 and spiritual warfare and how spiritual warfare is actually living in a place of rest instead of fighting all the time. And, and we, Psalms 23 is by far the best spiritual warfare tactic you can ever live out of. And I think we should just end there. Do you have... Yeah. No, I mean Psalms 23. End with Psalms 23. Okay. All right. While she's flipping there, I will say the thing that popped in my head was uh, Matthew 7, when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Mm. He tells them to pray out of intimacy, out of expectation, for the kingdom of heaven to be here on earth, the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, like, he teaches us that's how we ought to pray, is mm-hmm. with intimacy with our Father and great expectation that he is going to provide for us and that he will bring the kingdom to earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we viewed every situation in our life through the lens of the kingdom of heaven and what is spoken in the scriptures, it means that it doesn't matter how hard it gets, he's going to bring us through to the other side. It doesn't mean that we don't go through difficult times. It doesn't mean that we don't go through lack. It doesn't mean that hardships won't come. It just means that we're not shaken by them because we trust the Father in heaven.
who created us and gave us breath. And, and that is the good news, you know? And so this is, this is my, this is the way that I fight battles now. And it's Psalms 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It means I will lack nothing. I have lack of nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. And Katie was telling me that, do you know that sheep choke on fast moving waters? That's why he takes them to the still waters. Just like Jesus to bring in that reference. He's so good. He's so good. And he restores my soul. And soul there is, it's your, he restores my entire being. He restores my mental health. He restores my emotional health. He restores my physical health. He restores my spiritual health. Everything about me, he restores in that place. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and death here is not physical death, it's deep distress. Even though I walk through valleys of deep distress, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And valley here is, um, Katie shared this with me because I didn't know it either, is that in a valley, predators can see sheep easily. That is why God walks with you in that place, because you are an easy target for the enemy in the valley of deep despair. That is why he walks with you. Oh, so good. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You know, the rod and the staff is both a weapon of defense against predators as well as discipline. When we get off stray, off the path, he will discipline us and bring us back. You know, he's, it's a short staff and a long rod. So if you get too far out, he'll just take his rod, hook you back in, because that's his heart for you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What a beautiful picture of the love of God is that in the middle of my enemy coming against me, you say, come, let's do your favorite thing. Let's sit down and eat and everything you have need of, I'll give to you in this moment. And your enemy can do all he wants around you. But right now we're going to commune together. We're going to have fellowship together. That's amazing. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup overflows in the presence of my enemies? I don't even know if that's possible. But here it says it's possible. I overflow with oil and anointing in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy chase you down the rest of your life doesn't relent, it never stops, and it's always following you. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. That is the best place to do spiritual warfare right there, is when you stand on this, nothing hell throws against you.
can defeat you. Because this is yes and amen. This is the reality of the gospel. This is the gospel in one big chapter of just pure goodness, of the goodness of a father who loved us so much he sent his son to die upon a cross so that we could have eternal life here on earth and in heaven. That's incredible to me. And nothing, nothing in this world beats that. There's no comfort out there that can soothe my mind or my emotions like that. That is good news. And that is what we get to share with the world and a world that is desperate to hear this good news. Yeah, I just want to end again with this verse in Revelations 21, 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. And as she's reading that, I just saw this is the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. This is, this is what it looks like for God to dwell with his people. That's what it looks like. I thought it was interesting, a note that my commentary makes on verse 5, where the table is set before them in the presence of their enemies. It proposes this thought. It doesn't say that this is necessarily true, but it proposes this thought of culturally what that could indicate is that the enemies were there as captives at a victory celebration. So he says, you sit down and we'll make them watch as we eat. How about that? <laughs> and with that, I think we'll close. Some things for you to look forward to. Next week, we're going to do some practical application. The week after, we have special guest Dr. Shelley Hogan that's going to speak to us. And please note, the 25th, we are canceling class because it's Thanksgiving Eve where all the baker elves are out and about frantically searching for chocolate morsels and things. So <laughs> we will be canceling Thanksgiving Eve. <laughs> um, and we will finish, well, maybe finish, soft finish on December 2nd with another guest speaker, uh, Dr. Charlene Lauver from, no, Reverend, Reverend Charlene Lauver from the Trinity Chapel. So that is our calendar of events for the next four weeks. So. Thank you guys so much for coming out with us. Why don't we pray? I just want to dance. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Jesus is just so good. Oh, man. We are so blessed. Are we not the most blessed people in the entire world? Christians got to stop looking like wet, sappy brown paper bags. <laughs> we are supposed to be like Disneyland in person form. <laughs> We should carry such joy knowing that these are the benefits of our salvation. And so I want to encourage you, as you go through this week, apply the benefits of your salvation. You know, it's just like if you get an itch and you apply some non-itchy cream or whatever. Think about when things come up in life and you have to apply the salve of your salvation, if you will. Think about applying those benefits. If you get sick, apply the benefit. If you lose your, your cool apply the benefit of a sound mind. If you forget who you are, apply that benefit. You know, it's just like go down the list and ask God, you know, what, what benefit do I need today? How, how do I need to relate to the gospel today? Make me aware of what salvation has done in me or, or remind me of my story. How far have I come? 
And he will do just that and so much more because he loves to answer our prayers. So, okay, I'll stop preaching. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Jesus, thank you that you desire to be with us, that you call us your people. And even when we are sappy, wet bags, that we are just mopey and complainy, you still love us and you still come after us and you still set a table before our enemies and you still walk us through the valley and you still chase after us with joy and hope. God, and so we thank you that this is who you are, that you are a servant king, that you love us so deeply, so profoundly. And you stop at nothing until we are whole and our salvation is complete. And so, Lord, we thank you that your salvation is today, that today is a day of salvation, and that we are every day able to interact with that salvation, able to apply it to our lives. And so I pray for all of us now that you would show us how to apply the benefit of our salvation, what it looks like to walk aware of the gospel, God, and that we would revel in it, that we would admire your work, that we would be in awe of it and wonder of it, that we would weep over the loss that Jesus went through to, to provide the sacrifice and the benefits and blessings of our salvation, that we would rejoice in the victory. God, that we would not take advantage of it, that we wouldn't overlook it or call it common. God, because it is not common, it is precious, and it is rare, and it is a miracle. And so forgive us for treating it as less than. Help us to honor your work in Jesus. Help us to love him deeply and receive that profound love. God, would you transform and renew us? Would you continue to make us more like Jesus day by day? And we thank you so much for being with us here tonight and speaking and leading us and convicting us and slapping us around a little bit. I appreciate it. And thank you for empowering us too. I thank you that you never end on a bad note. You don't end on doom, but you speak a good word of hope. And so we thank you for that, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.